uh, I want to explain something uh, for you here uh, in this. There, this week is actually a double portion uh, again. Uh, that happens every now and then because of the holidays, and we're following um, the Jewish reading of the of the first five books of the Bible <clears throat> during this year. And so I've got those listed for you. At the top, it's it tells you uh, the the names for them. One is after death. The other one is holy ones. And the readings are there uh, in alignment with those uh, portions. So the first one would have been uh, Leviticus 16, 1 through 18, 30. And then the next one, Holy Ones, would be 19, 1 through 20, 27. And that's the one that we're actually going to focus on this evening. Obviously, just for the sake of time, there's no way to cover uh, that many uh, chapters. <clears throat> so we're going to look at, uh, starting with verse uh, 1 of chapter 19, and on the notes, uh, I've got it there for you, and I've actually put down all of chapter 19 for you on the paper there. <clears throat> You're going to see why uh, this is important, and I want to explain before we even get started that this is one of those areas where um, I've decided to use this particular version of the Bible called the Scriptures uh, for a very specific reason. Because as Zach was sharing, <clears throat> when you think of the term holy, uh, because we'll run into it here, we'll run into it again in First in Peter, which we'll get there later on, it says, um, you are to be holy for I am holy. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've heard that term my whole life, right? Holy ones, saints, or to, to be holy. Uh, you might even think of... Um, you know, the movie Dances with Wolves and the, the Indian that he was working with was a holy man. Um, and you, you might think in those terms and you might have, <clears throat> I don't know, does anybody here other than me just have a, a, a number of different pictures that come to mind? Kind of like what the kids said when you think of the term holy. You're to be holy. So, I mean, you know, what does that really mean? To be holy, and we have a tendency to think, uh, well, it means to be godly. It means to be pious. It means to be reverent. Uh, uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever that might be. And yet, uh, in this particular uh, portion, it comes up a lot. And with this version, you're going to see a very good translation of the word for holiness, which is. Uh, kadosh or kiddoshim, the way it's written here at the top of your page for you, that shim means that it's in the plural. So it means holy ones. Uh, and the reason for that is because it says that they are, that uh, God tells Moses to speak to the whole congregation, all of the children of Israel, and that this is how they're to live their lives as holy ones, holy beings. Well, <clears throat> the word Kadosh or Kedoshim or holy ones literally means the set apart ones. So it's something that is set apart and something that is not common every day. Do you have common things that, at your house that you use? Like for instance, do you have um, plates and pottery and things that you only use during certain times of the year? Those are set apart. Holy. They're set apart unto you. They might not be for me, but they are for you. 
those, those are set apart. So those would be kadosh. Um, now, are they set apart unto God? That's a whole nother topic, right? So <clears throat> that's the reason for you to have this. And it's the reason why I've been using this uh, translation here lately. And I actually put in here the ESV, which is what I typically will use uh, in verse 2. But let's start this reading and then we'll pray together. Um, in verse 1 it says, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the children of Israel and say to them, Be set apart, for I, Yahovah, your Elohim, am set apart. Now, you'll see here in verse 2 in the ESV, it says, Speak to all the children of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So I want you to see that as we march through this, I hope that you'll start to see this word differently and how it applies to everything he's going to start talking about. Because he's called us to be set apart. He has called us to be, watch this, different. We're not supposed to be like everybody else in the world. We're supposed to be different. And that's what the word holy means. We're to be set apart unto God and we're to be different. So before we do anything else, let's just pray together. And uh, we're going to pray that, that the Lord will help us to understand his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you very much. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your word. We pray, Lord, that it would come to life for us. We pray that um, we would live our lives in such a way that the world would know that you are the one true God, that we are your children, um, and that you have saved us by your grace and mercy. And we pray all this in the name of Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> all right, so I've got in here uh, from the lexicon this word kadosh, which is where you get the kadoshim, uh, how many different ways it's translated in the authorized version. That would be like in your... Uh, King James Version, if you will. Uh, and one of those ways it says here is also as set apart. So I just wanted you to have that in case you don't have a lexicon or you don't have a, a strong concordance. You can look it up online if you want. When all else fails, use Google. Uh, if you can't find that verse in your Bible, use Google and you can, it'll probably get you there. You just have to be careful that your theology doesn't come from Google. We clear on that? <laughs> we want our theology to come from the scriptures, right? Okay, so this uh, being set apart means, um, or this holiness means to be set apart. And then uh, I want you to notice something else as we march through here. And as we read through it, you might want to highlight it. Uh, especially for those of you that are first time here. In this version, you'll see these Hebrew letters, the Yod, the Hey, the Vav, and the Hey, that's written, or I just read it from right to left, because you read Hebrew from right to left. This is another reason why I like this version, because God's name is in here spelled with the Hebrew. In this one chapter, chapter 19, out of the, I think it's 32 verses, I'll have to look and see, because I'm going to say it wrong, 30, oh, it's 37 verses. The term, I am Yahovah, with his just saying his name is in here 16 times one chapter 37 verses almost in other words almost every other verse he's telling them this is what i want you to do i am yahovah your god this is what i don't want you to do why i am yahovah your elohim this is how i want you to live 
Why? I am Yahovah. This is how I want you to come before me. I am Yahovah. This is what I want you to keep yourselves away from. I am Yahovah. And I want you to notice something else. That doesn't include references to his name. That's just the one statement, I am Yahovah. So when we're reading through this, you might want to highlight that or circle or to just pay attention. Because when we see the word Lord and we see the word God, or maybe we see the word Elohim, uh, or, or whatever all these other ways that these versions will translate it, it's hiding from you the importance of his name. And I, I cannot say it loud enough or clear enough, especially in the time allotted, the importance of his name. It is massively important. And because we don't, we're not familiar with it or it feels alien to us or we think we're getting off into some legalistic cult or, or whatever weirdness goes through your head, that's because we've heard this now for 1,700 years. Um, and that's not what's in your Bible. The word Lord is a title, and it's the same title that's used for Baal. It means master. It's not his name. Adonai is not his name. That's a title. It still means, on, it still means master or husband, uh, Lord, king, ruler. It does not, it is not his name. And who do you think has been keeping that from you and I. You can go ahead and say it. Uh, Satan has, the, the, the accuser. Lucifer has been hiding it from us, and it's hidden from us right in plain sight in your Bible. So if you've got a Bible and it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's to supposedly tell you that that means his name, not a title, and you're just supposed to know that. But it's hidden from you in plain sight. So that's one reason for using this and for you having this tonight. So let's march on here. Down here, uh, about halfway through the page, is where it picks up with verse 3. And it says, Each one of you should fear his mother and his father and guard my Sabbaths. I am Yahovah, your Elohim. That's the word there for God. I'm going to stop there for a second. So I want you to notice something here. here this whole section is about us being holy. Now, that's not a... That's not a uh, alien term to us because we've heard this in the New Testament because in Peter refers to it and he says it's written you shall be holy for I am holy so we already know that we should be holy which means set apart but I want you to notice that he's talking here in terms of the whole community but it starts off he says you're to say this to all the congregation right so everybody needs to understand something this whole congregation, what he's saying, I want my whole family, all the people of Israel, we've been grafted into Israel, it applies to us, wants us to be holy, wants us to be set apart and different. The first commandment he gives dealing with that is on an individual level. <laughs> and it's with the family. You feel like the family has fallen apart in America? It has. And the reason it has is because we've delegated all the responsibilities away from the family to the institutions. And those institutions, watch this, don't care about godly principles. Uh, they don't care about the Bible. And um, we're not doing it the way God said. God wants us 
to teach our children. Parents, he wants you to be teaching and blessing your kids. So he says, each one of you should fear his mother and his father. That doesn't mean you need to be running around scared to death. They're going to beat you. I don't want any kids' hands going up. <laughs> um, the word there for fear means to uh, be in awe of and have great respect for. Folks, he told us in the New Testament that it would be like it is today, that people would be lovers of self instead of lovers of God. Uh, we would be totally self-absorbed, which we are, uh, and would be hateful and hateful towards our parents um, and lawless. It doesn't mean lawless according to the law of the, the land. It means anti-God's law is what that's talking about. So he says here that you should be in awe of and have respect for your father and your mother, your mother and your father. Does that sound familiar? Right out of the Ten Commandments, right? He's going to repeat these all through here. What does it mean to be holy? Well, folks, to be holy means to be set apart. Watch this. That is connected to what you and I, watch this, what we do. What you do with your life, what comes out of your mouth and how you live your life and how you treat your neighbor and how you treat your family members, how you treat your parents, how you treat your kids, your sexual orientation, everything will determine whether you are holy or profane. And that means common, means just like the rest of the lost world. So that means... It's tied to what we do. How many of you here, like me, I've been to school, been to seminary, I got the degree. How many of you here, like me, thought that, well, being holy, that's just something God does for you. It's kind of this supernatural thing. You come to Jesus and you just become a saint. You become, does, it's not tied to anything I do. Okay, look, well, okay, we're going to start all over. So if I ask a question and I got my hand up, it's okay and proper and it helps me out if you respond. If you just stand there and stare at me, I'm going to think you had a lock-in that went in way too long last night. You had a sleepover that just went way too far. So look at, him, look at her, look up. Was that me? Um, so is anybody here like me that had those thoughts that... Yeah, it's not tied to anything I do, being holy, being set apart. Okay, let me just ask another simple question. If that's not right, where do you think that came from? It came from our enemy. Because God wants us to be set apart and different, and our enemy doesn't. So what he told us was, none of this applies to you. It has nothing to do with what you do. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do. It is, that's going to happen later. It's no big deal. It is a huge deal. Um, <clears throat> so he says, the, the start where this starts is it starts in the home. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble or whatever here, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that it is not the church's responsibility to train your kids in godliness. Can I ask you just a simple question? How's that worked for us over the last 50 years in America? I mean, young people are leaving the church left and right right now. There are more churches folding. I don't know if you realize this or not. In America, there's a massive, greater amount of number of churches folding than churches that are starting. 
We're going backwards fast. Massive numbers. Churches that are folding literally left and right every single week in America. Every week. Uh, it's, it's a scary number. Not only is that happening, but the vast number of young people are leaving the church. Why? Well, because it's not working. You know why it's not working? Because we're doing it according to our own made-up ideas. And we think it's okay to do whatever we want to do. That's no big deal, and God doesn't care. Well, he does care, and it's not working. So then he, he says, you're to honor your father and your mother. And then he says, and guard my Sabbaths. So whose Sabbath is it? So it's not ours? Hmm. Well, imagine that. He says, you're to guard my Sabbaths. Now, if you got the ESV, it's going to say keep. Well, that word keep means to guard, protect, to honor it and respect and guard it, to keep it. <laughs> holy means set apart. So guess what? Today is the Sabbath, so Shabbat Shalom. I think it's still the Sabbath. Yeah, the sun's not down yet, so it's still, it's, it's the actual Sabbath. Uh, and he says you're to guard it. And he, then he said, and then you can put in there why. I want you to honor your father and your mother, guard my Sabbaths. I am Yahovah, your Elohim. I'm your daddy. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. You're my people. You're living in my house. You're going to be living on my dirt. Do it my way. And they're my Sabbaths. You just, you're going to have to let that one germinate for a little bit. Um, it doesn't belong to us. We get to enjoy it, uh, but it doesn't belong to us. Let's just go on. I'm going to run way out of time. Way too much in here. Verse 4 says, Do not turn to idols and do not make for yourselves molded mighty ones. What's that sound like? Watchers. Fallen demons. Um, gods. Little g. Fallen angels that want to be like Yahovah. He goes, don't do it. And then he says, why? I am Yahovah, your Elohim. And that word Yahovah, if you don't know this, it's really three words that means that he exists, that he is who he says he is, that he's always been, that everything that exists exists because he's there. And it literally, you've heard it said, uh, the great I am. Uh, it can also be translated and should be translated the one who is and was and will always be. It's a play on those verbs. Uh, and that's why <laughs> that's his name. Let's go on. Uh, verse 5, it says, And when you bring a peace offering to Yahweh, bring it for hmm, your acceptance. You see the difference here between worshiping the one true God and all these other gods? When we worship Yahovah, our, our Elohim, God Almighty, the most high God, the only true God that there really is, we bring our offerings to him, but most of that we are eating. If, you were, if we were living in the land, you had the temple there, the sacrificial, sacrificial system was on in place. You don't do it here because uh, we're still in exile. <clears throat> we're not in Israel. 
But he says that when you bring this offering to God, the reason is so that you will be accepted. It's all these other religions, it's like you're bringing these things to please God, to hope that, or please that God, so that you can get blessings or whatever and hopefully um, get goodness from Him, make, and He's happy. God's like, no, no, no. You see, the worship of the one true God is the opposite of all these other false religions. You don't bring food and, and an offering to God and burn it up and hope that He's going to be eating it. He says, these parts are going to burn up. It's going to be a pleasing aroma to me, but you're supposed to eat your portion. So he says, I'm going to have a barbecue. You're supposed to eat it, and you better party. I want you to have fun. Celebrate, because I love you. You're not supposed to come to him in fear and trembling. He literally commands us to celebrate. Once again, man, us Baptists, we're just going to have to catch up, aren't we? We're just way too revered, you know, you know we're too subdued, you know. Uh, we're going to have to learn how to dance. <laughs> so he says, it's for your acceptance. Verse 6, it says, it is to be eaten the same day that you slaughtered it on the next day, and that which is left over on the third day is burned with fire. He's like, you're just to eat it for two days, not on the third day. You're, you're not supposed to eat it on the third day. It's going to ruin, for starters. Then he goes, if it's eaten at all on the third day, is it an abomination? It's not acceptable. And he who eats it bears his crookedness because he has profaned the set-apart offering to Yahovah. Do you see what he's saying there? This is where it helps us understand to see these words in context like this, that profane means you made it common. And basically what, the, what he's saying is, you decided that you would just do your own thing. I told you you could eat it for two days. On the third day, if there's something left over, you need to burn it. Can't you just see? We would do it too. Don't sit here and tell me that we, you, I would. I'd be sitting there going, well, you know, this part's not bad, you know. The, you know, the, the five-second rule or three-second rule or whatever it is, you know. And God's like, no, there isn't a three-second rule. It hits the ground, it's dirty, you don't eat that, right? So he's saying on the third day, you don't eat it. You don't go, eh, I think this part's still okay, you know? He's like, no, you don't eat it. When you do that, you're making up your own rules, then you have profaned it, which means made it common. Everybody else just does their own rules. I want you to live by my rules. You seeing the difference there now? Uh so verse 9, it goes, And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not completely reap the corners of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, and do not glean your vineyard or gather every grape from your vineyard. Leave it for the poor and the stranger. I am Yahovah, your Elohim. So now he's telling him, he says, Look, you're also to take care of the poor and the stranger in your community. So... This is diabolically opposed to the American way today. We now not only want to make sure we get every olive at the best time to make the most profit, we're figuring out ways to mess with God's kingdom to get stuff out of it we're not even supposed to be getting out of it. We'll get into that a little bit later, but GMOs, I think, are of the devil. I'll go ahead and say it because it goes against what God said. 
you know what a GMO is? Genetically modified organism. And it's in your foodstuffs that you and I are eating. I don't know if you, anybody here ever Googled it? You might not want to because it'll make you sick to your stomach. They're putting animal genetics into plants. But don't worry, the FDA says it's fine. God said don't do it. Um, so you get down to verse 11, it says, Don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive one another, and do not swear falsely by my name. Like, man, as Yahovah lives, I'm telling you this is the truth. And he goes, do not do that falsely. Don't swear by my name falsely. Why? Because I am Yahovah. So he's saying, look, don't lie, cheat, steal, or murder, or whatever, all these other things. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Of course it is. Isn't that stuff also in our New Testament? We would say, well, sure, we're not supposed to be doing those things. It's kind of like common sense, right? We would say, yeah, that's just common sense. Verse 13 says, and don't oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of him who is hired is, is not to remain with you all night until morning. Does that sound familiar? So he said, if you've hired somebody, pay them and don't wait. Don't hold on to it because you're begrudgingly paying them what you said you were going to hire them to, and pay them to do. That's just wrong. What's he telling us here? You're to be different. You're to be upright and decent. Why? Because he and he alone is God. And if we are his people, we should live like that. As a matter of fact, I don't think I should use the word should. Folks, it's not optional. These are commands. This is how you are to live because I'm God and you're not. And as a matter of fact, I'm supposed to be your God, your Elohim, and I have a name and I'm not like these other gods. So this is how I want you to live, period. And when you don't, guess what? You're profaning not only you, but watch this. You're profaning the camp. Uh-oh. Yeah. This is impacting the whole community to where the community becomes profane and suffer consequences for the actions of a few. Um, he goes on and he says, <clears throat> Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but fear your Elohim. I am Yahovah. What's that talking about? We talked about Lashon, Hurrah, the evil tongue. And that's just, that, that, that animal is hard to reel in, isn't it? Because we just want to go, that guy, what an idiot, right? Of course, we're never the idiot. It's always the other guy that's the idiot. Uh, but here's what he's saying. He says, don't curse the deaf. Can a deaf person hear you? But watch this. Remember we talked about the possibility of, <clears throat> or the reality that there are, are rules that govern the other realm, just like there are rules that govern this realm, like gravity, and we have to eat, you have to, we have to breathe air, you know, you need to drink water. You know, there, there are certain natural laws that govern this earth that we are on. There are laws that have to govern the unseen realm where God is and the angels and where we're headed and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so God here is saying, you are not to verbally curse someone even if they can't hear you. 
I mean, why would he say that if it's just words and they don't mean anything? Remember we talked about Balaam? So we shouldn't be doing that. We also, and, it's, and also you can just read this for what it says on the surface. Don't take advantage of people when they don't know they're being taken advantage of. And definitely don't be talking about somebody behind their back. And he says, and don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Don't cause someone to trip when they can't see what you're doing. I think that's not only physical, but even spiritual. Don't cause somebody else to stumble. Don't we see, read that in the New Testament? You have faith, that's great, but don't cause your brother to stumble. Um, and he says, you know what you need to do? You need to be fearful of God himself. He's watching and he knows. You think you're getting away with this because they can't see or they can't hear, but God does. Amazing, huh? Do no unrighteousness in right ruling, meaning rule rightly. Make a judgment right in, in the right way. Do not be partial to the poor or favor the face of the great. In other words, the ruling should be the ruling what it is. It doesn't matter a person's status in the community, whether he's poor or rich. In other words, if a guy's poor, you don't change the law because he's poor. If a guy's rich, you don't change the law to fit him because he's rich. It is what it is. It should be the same whether the person is rich or poor. It doesn't matter. And so when we're making a judgment, or he's telling this to the nation, when you're making a judgment, it, need, it needs to be impartial. You know, justice is supposed to be blind. Um, well, that's where it comes from because that's what God, God wants us to rule rightly no matter what a person's status is. Um, it says, but rightly rule your neighbor in righteousness. Do not go slandering among your people. Do not stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am Yahovah. I mean, don't um, stand in uh, judgment of the life of your neighbor, especially for your own desires. Why? Because God is God and he's watching. And we're to be, look, even as a community here, as small as we are, we should be holy and set apart. And we should be loving towards one another and careful and caring about one another. Uh, verse 17 says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? He said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. See, a lot of times you want to read that and say that he came up with a new law. He didn't come up with a new law. He's quoting something right out of the Old Testament, right out of the Torah. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. What was he saying every time he said that you've heard it said, you've heard it said? He's talking about the rabbis and rabbinical laws. That was based on the oral Torah that superseded the written Torah. So he's saying, here, God, the Father is saying, don't hate your brother in your heart. You need to actually care about one another. He says, reprove your neighbor for certain and bear no sin because of him. Meaning, when you see your brother sinning, just like Jesus told us in Matthew, you go to him lovingly, compassionately and say, hey, um, dude, what's up? Let's... We, you and I both know this is happening. That's not what God would want. Anybody here ever have anybody help you with that? That's rare, isn't it? 
But how many of us fail every day? Some of y'all failing right now. <laughs> um, it's great to have a brother or a sister, somebody that would come alongside and say, hey, this isn't right, and, and do it lovingly, not in a judgmental, condemning way. Uh, in verse 18, it says, Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. Huh. Well, there it is again. Isn't it amazing when we will just read the Old Testament, how much of it is in the New Testament, uh, and that Jesus and the apostles are quoting the Old Testament. Then in verse 19, he says, guard my laws, guard them, keep them, protect them, make sure that it, they're guarded. Yet what? We've heard forever now that, well, they don't, they don't apply anymore, especially those Jewish ones, that they're not Jewish. But that's a whole nother topic, isn't it? And then here it says, don't let your livestock mate with another kind. There it is dealing with this, if you will, this GMO stuff. Do not sow your field with mixed seed and do not put on a garment woven of two sorts of thread upon you. I think that was to help them because God's into symbolism and we need visuals, right? Are you like me? You need a visual reminder. I need a lot of them. Uh, and so he says, <clears throat> uh, you're not to let your livestock mate with another kind. We're not supposed to come up with hybrids, folks. Uh, and he says, and, and along with that, don't sow your field with mixed seed. You see, some people would do that to cheat. I know that would never happen nowadays, but they would do that to cheat with barley and wheat. Put the cheaper one in there. Uh, and to try to try to cheat. Anyways, he's saying, don't do that. Don't be cheaters. <laughs> be honest, respectful people. You could sum up this chapter almost by saying that, right? And he says, and also, don't, don't even put on a garment woven of two sorts of thread. Don't mix it. Have it that way. Why? So when you put it on, you'll remember this is how you're supposed to be. Because you know what? we got short memories. We have short memories. So now he's going to get into this stuff in here about uh, sexual... Um, purity. So he says, uh, when a man has intercourse with a woman who is a female servant engaged to a man who has not been uh, ransomed or redeemed, there should be an inquiry, but they're not to be put to death because she was not free. Uh, and he shall bring his guilt offering to Yahovah to the door of the tent of meeting. A ram is a guilt offering and a priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before Yahovah for his sin, which he has done and the sin, which he has, uh, has sinned shall be forgiven him. I'm going to make this clear right here. He's not talking about rape. He's talking about a servant girl. Maybe she was engaged to somebody else, but maybe she didn't really love him. Maybe she did love this guy. We don't know some of the details here, uh, but it's definitely not talking about rape. And it's not saying that uh, if, if he does this, he can do it with the woman and all he's got to do is just pay a goat and he can get away with it. Uh, the idea is he has, he's going to have to pay for his uh, price, when you keep reading in the Torah, he's going to have to end up taking her as his wife. But that, that's a whole other topic. Um, you get to verse 23, and it says, And when you come into land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, you shall reckon their fruit as uncircumcised or uh, forbidden. Uh, for three years, it is uncircumcised you, it is not eaten. And on the fourth year, it is fruit set apart, uh, praises unto Yahovah, or as a praise offering to God, to be given, if you will, 
to God. And in the fifth year, you shall eat its fruit so that it increases its yield to you. I am Yahovah, your Elohim. Let's move on along here because this is an interesting section here. In verse 26, it says, Do not eat meat with blood and do not practice divination or magic. Do not round the corner of your head nor destroy the corner of your beard and do not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead nor put tattoos on your tattoo marks on you. I am Yahovah. Now this is a, these, what, three verses are debated and talked about and quoted more than I would like to admit. It is, I just wish people would read their Bibles in context. That's just, if you just read it in context, just reading that in context right there, instead of cherry picking a few words out of here, you would understand that these comments are talking about uh, divination, if you will, black magic type stuff, and um, when it talks about marking yourself and tattoos and the corner of your head, and then I, this is another reason why I like this version uh, on this text because it says, nor destroy the corners of your beard. Because when it says don't cut off or the, uh, uh, the corner of your head, uh, or destroy the corner of your beards. It's talking about there when people would pull their hair out, out of their head and out of their beard, mourning for the dead. Folks, this is why you'll see the ultra-Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox, they'll wear their side curls. Because they say, well, you're not supposed to cut the sides of the, of the hair on the temples. So they, don't, they won't cut it. I'm like, okay, um, fine, but that's not what it's saying. And then there are people that say, you see, you're not supposed to get any tattoos. I mean, if you get a tattoo, man, that's of the devil and you're, you know, you're going to burn in hell or whatever. You know, all, just a bunch of ridiculousness. What's talking about putting a tattoo or cutting yourself or marking yourself for the dead? Well, that's a whole long subject. But I'm going to tell you that just, I don't believe you can prove this from Scripture, that it is a quote-unquote sin to just get a tattoo. Now, if you're tattooing your dead mom's portrait on you, I would say that's going against Scripture. Don't do that. If you're even, and as much as it might be meaningful to some people, you know, you're tattooing your names of your deceased children, I would say don't do that. God said don't do that. There's other ways to mourn the death of a loved one, and why would God have us not do that? Because he doesn't want us to elevate people above him, and we are the temple of God, and he doesn't want them on us, and he doesn't want us marking ourselves, cutting ourselves, or whatever, mourning the loss, because people would do that, watch this, hoping to get their relatives out of a bad place. Does that sound like trying to pray your relatives out of purgatory? That's something God says, no, no, you don't do those things. I'm going to move on. Verse 29 says, and don't profane your daughter. Don't make her common like the other people. 
making her whore or become a prostitute so that the land does not whore that way and the land become filled with wickedness. Do you see here the connection? He's saying this, these sexual promiscuities, what it does is it literally defiles the land. The place where you're going to be living. You see, our actions impact more than just our feelings and whether or not God hears our prayers. Anybody here other than me ever hear that? You know, that, you know, your sins that, you know, it's not going to remove you from God. It's just going to hinder him hearing your prayers or whatever. You need to repent. That's why we have a tendency to think that that's all that's going to really happen. No, it's literally impacting your physical realm. Um, and in verse 30, he's going to say it again, guard my Sabbaths. Do you think he's concerned about that? He's repeating it. Guard my Sabbaths and reverence my set-apart place. Why? Because I am Yahovah. Then he goes, and do not turn to mediums. It's on TV. So don't think that people aren't doing this. It's happening every day. And God is specifically saying, do not do that. Why? Well, for one thing, that's what the nations and the other gods wanted these people to do. Why? Because it's opening up portals for these spirits to impact your life for the bad. So don't do it. Uh, do not seek after spiritists, and watch this, and be defiled by them. Don't seek them. Don't get around them. It, that junk's going to rub off on you. Can anybody here kind of go, uh-oh, right? We need, to be, we need to stay away from that. Why? Because we're supposed to be set apart holy unto God. That stuff is connected to false gods and demons, God will have no part of it. He doesn't want us to have any part of it. Uh, Betty sent me a text today, and we talked about this. Man, this is a great verse. Verse 32, man, is a great verse. Rise up before the gray-headed. Mine's not, well, it's on the bottom side of my head. Um, Rise up before the gray-headed, and you shall favor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your Elohim. I am Yahovah. That's saying literally to pay special respect to the elderly people. I always say, gray, as Scripture says, gray hair is a wise man's crown. Mine just kind of slipped off the top. But um, it's literally saying that you, you, you should rise up in the presence of the elderly and respect them. Um, and you should literally favor the face of the old, the old people. And yet it seems like in our day and time... They're almost mocked. And the old people only get their time on Facebook if it's really a young person made up to look like an old person doing things that old people can't do. You ever notice that? Because on Facebook and on YouTube a lot, you know, where they play these tricks and they got a guy, he's made up to where he looks like he's 90 years old and he's out there doing, you know, 75 pull-ups and bench pressing you know, whatever, 500 pounds or something crazy or whatever. And everybody's like, whoa, look at this guy, and not knowing that he's a, you know, a muscle maniac and just made up to look like that. Um, 
that's what's really going on in our society, yet the older people should have great respect. Um, let's just go on. Verse 33, and it says, And when the stranger sojourns with you in your land, don't oppress him. The alien, in other words. Let the stranger who dwells among you be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Does that sound familiar? You're to love the stranger and love the alien as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. For you were strangers in the lands of Mitzrayim, which is Egypt. I am Yahovah your Elohim. Do no unrighteous, unrighteousness in right ruling, in the measurement of length and weight and measurement of liquids. Have the right scales, the right weights, the right ephah, the right hen. I am Yahovah your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, Egypt. What's he saying there? Don't be cheating on your scales. Don't be cheating when you're, you know, weighing stuff out. Uh, I'm driving a Tundra right now. Um, before this truck, I had a Chevy. I'm not going to say that they did this on purpose. I just think it's fascinating. I was getting great gas mileage. Man, I was getting this fantastic gas mileage on that Chevy truck. But it just wasn't enough. Oh, oh. Enough, you know. It just wasn't, it just wasn't beefy enough. I just put some bigger tires on it. I didn't even lift it or anything else. I just put some bigger tires. The tires that were on there were the the standard um, tires that came with the truck. I put bigger tires on there, and you know what? My uh, average mile per gallon went way down. Everybody goes, and so well, I thought it was just kind of odd. And I went, well, yeah, I've got these bigger tires. And so all these places that have the radars, you know, where they check your speed. I started intentionally checking my speed at every single one I went by. And you know what's amazing? It was absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah. My speed, once I made the tires bigger, was dead on every single time. I mean, just dead on those radars. But my gas mileage went down. Hmm. Now, why would that be? I don't know. I'll just let you figure that one out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, God is saying don't do those kinds of things. That kind of stuff happens all the time. You know why? Because they care about the bottom dollar. And they'll fudge any way they can to squeeze another dollar out of me and out of you. And God is like, my people are not to be like that, even if you think you're not ever going to get caught. Oh, by the way, they also don't really regulate that very much. I tried to have my speedometer. I went to the Chevy place and wanted to have it recalibrated. And they looked at me and said, oh, we can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? You put it on a machine, do whatever. He goes, oh, we, there, there's, we can't do that because it depends on the size of the tire and the size of the wheel. And I said, yeah, I know. You should be able to go in there and, I mean, you're Chevy for crying out loud. You know, we send people to the moon and I mean, you should just be able to put it on a machine and calibrate it and go donk and everything's, I mean, it's not manual anymore for crying out loud. Oh, well, we, we just, we don't do that. You'd have to take it somewhere and pay somebody, you know, a bunch of money to get them to do that. And I wasn't like, so I, I drove off going, they really don't want you to know what they're doing, do they? <laughs> I, I, that was just my opinion. I, that's my opinion on it. 
so he's saying have the right scales, the right weights, and all that kind of stuff. And then in verse 37, it says, And you shall guard all my laws and all my right rulings and do them. I am Yahovah. Hmm. So he's saying it in there again that we need to guard and protect his right rulings and his laws uh, and do them. Um, so are God's laws burdensome or are they just right and how we should be? Anybody see anything in these that says, well, that's a beating? Why would I want to do that? No. If you want to be around any good, decent people, this is how you'd want to live, right? Sure. If you go on into chapter 20, this is where it starts to get pretty interesting. It says, And Yahovah spoke to Moses, saying, And say to the children of Israel, Any man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Molech shall certainly be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, um, and I shall set my face against that man and shall cut him off from the midst of his people because he has given his offspring to Molech. Look at this. Verse 3, it says, and so as to defile my set-apart place and profane my set-apart name. I, <clears throat> this is going to sound upside down. He's talking right here about people that would literally offer up their children to a God and sacrifice them. He says, don't do it, but I want you to see why he says, don't do that. We would normally think he would say, don't do that because that's just wrong and you shouldn't be killing people and that's, that's being a bad, bad, bad person, right? That's our simplified look at this statement. But he says, you're to not do that. And then he says, Why? Because when you do that, look at what it says, the last part of verse 3. Actually, in verse 3, he says, because I'm going to set my face against him. I'll set my face against you for doing such a thing. I'm going to cut you off from the middle of your people because of what you did. And he says, and what you did defiles my set-apart, my holy name, and makes my set-apart name or my uh, place it profanes my set-apart name, and it defiles my set-apart place. We think God is more concerned about us and our happiness, but I'm telling you, He's more concerned about His name. All of these rulings and His desire for us to follow His rulings and teachings and instructions has to do with honoring who he is more than you getting some kind of blessing out of it. It's more important than this is how you should eat so you'll be healthy. This is how you come worship me because that's what I like. This is what you, you don't do these things because they're just evil, mean, and nasty, and I want you to be happy, and I want to bless you, and I want you to, you know, everybody just kind of get along. Folks, that's not how God operates. He is holy and set apart different than everybody else. When we come to him for salvation, he goes, great, these are my rules. You need to understand something. I'm Yahovah, you're not. I created you, you didn't create me. 
You want to live in my house? We're going to live by my rules because when you live by my rules, you're going to tell those demons that I'm God and they're not. It's just that simple. And when you start worshiping them, calling yourself mine, now you're in trouble. And if you bring that stuff into my house, my place, with my people, that is a huge, I'll say it this way, problem. So um, I think God even cares about what comes into his quote-unquote church today, don't you? And if it's ungodly, demonic, he's not happy with it. I don't care how many people you're getting down the aisle. It's, it's an abomination. It's just wrong. Um, so you get to, uh, I'm going to need to go to my notes here for a second. If you go to verse 7, I think that's in your notes because I couldn't cover the whole chapter. Actually, it's two chapters now, but uh, verse 7, it says, And you shall set yourselves apart and shall be set apart, for I am Yahovah your Elohim. So who is doing the work here for you and I to be set apart and holy before God? We are. It's amazing because we've been kind of led to believe down this primrose path or whatever that um, all you need to do is come to Jesus. God's going to make you holy. It'll be perfected when you die. But until then, you know, just go with what your heart tells you is okay. And God, his word is clear and says, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, you need to set yourselves apart and you need to live by my rules and therefore be holy. And then in that process, when you're in my economy, then I'm able to come and bless you. And it really is that simple. Um, and then he goes, and if the people of the land at all hide their eyes from the man as he gives any of his offspring to Molech and they don't kill him, then I shall set my face against that man and against his clan. I want you to see something here. God says clearly that if you see this kind of stuff going on, you need to not only bring it to attention, but you need to separate yourself from it. Now, here he's talking about the people of Israel in the land. You had to have a temple set up. You had to have the priestly system set up and the sacrifice, sacrificial system because nobody just went out and stoned somebody on their own for what they saw them doing. You had to bring it before the courts, and the court was the priestly system. So if you see somebody doing something that you think is devil worship or whatever, if you go stone them on your own, well, then you're on your own. Are we clear on that? Meaning you and I don't have a right to do that. We're in Roy City, meaning we're in exile. We're not in the land. So we're going to have to try to make do. Does that help? Uh, but one way is if you see that kind of stuff happening, you don't, you don't participate in it. And if, if it's necessary, you speak out about it or whatever. But the first thing you should do according to what Jesus said and what we're learning here, you go to the person and reprove the person personally. Jesus was real clear on this. You see your brother sinning, you go to him and 
explain it and go, hey, come back. If they don't respond, then what do you do? You take somebody with you. You talk to them. You're not judging them and beating them down. You wretched heathen, you know, you're going to burn in hell. You need to stop. No, you go to them and compassionately try to show them from Scripture this is wrong. If they still don't respond, that's when you, you take it before the whole church. And it's not to just church somebody, kick them out like you've heard. It's, it's just, man, we love you. The whole community is showing you that this is what the Word of God says. This is how we're supposed to be living. Please don't do this. Do you see the difference in that? And that's scriptural. Uh, and that's how we should be living our lives. So I want you to jump down now to verse 22. Because it says, uh, in verse 22, it says, And you shall guard all my laws and all my righteous rulings and do them. He's kind of repeating himself. Why do you think God would have to repeat himself? Because what? Okay, there, I, I'm hard of hearing because I am old. I heard we're stubborn. Um, anybody want to add to that? Is it, do what? We're children. <laughs> we're children and we're stubborn. And we, he just has to keep telling us over and over again. Why? Because we are stubborn. We're slow to learn this. And we, we forget easily, and we just have to be told a million times. Folks, that's why his name is in your Bible 6,827 times. That's not references to his name. That's his name, Yahovah, is in your Bible 6,827 times. You think he cares about it? I think he does. Um. So he says, you're to guard my laws and my righteous rulings and do them so that the land where I am bringing you to dwell does not vomit you out. He's saying it again. You're going to be on this land that's a place that I'm going to cause my name to be remembered there. And if you go against my rules, the land itself will vomit you out of that area. And that is exactly what happened. It is exactly what happened. Um, it says, do not walk in the laws of the nation which I am driving out before you. For they do all these things and therefore I loathed them. That should be another clue. He goes, look, I'm going to take you into this land. I'm going to drive out these nations from the land where I'm taking you. Don't follow the way they live. Why? Because that's what I'm telling you not to do the things they were doing. That's what he's saying here. I'm telling you all these things I'm telling you not to do are the things they were doing. Homosexuality is not new. Bestiality is not new. Incestual relationships are not new. It's as old as mankind. You can read it for yourself. Uh, and he says, when you do any of these things, that's what the nations were doing that I'm driving out from before you, and I loathed them for doing those things. Why in the world would we think that God wouldn't care if we participated in anything like that today? And then all we got to do is say, you know, well, God, hey, I'm sorry. Really, that's all I got to do, right? I just got to say I'm sorry and everything's fine. God says that's what they were doing, and he loathed them. He hates it. Um... And he even hates it more when we call ourselves 
children of God, children of Yahovah, followers of Jesus, Yeshua, and then live like the devil. When we do that, it's profaning his name. And he hates it. And he's, I think, in the very near future, is going to show us how much he hates it. Folks, it's coming. This world is crazy, and it will get crazier. It will get more and more violent. It will get more and more hostile. And the things I've preached on today, there are laws on the books being debated in the Senate, I think in California, that I would be put in jail for what I said tonight. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, so then he says in verse 25, and you shall make a distinction between the clean beast and the unclean, between clean, unclean birds and the clean, and do not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or whatever creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. So he's saying, don't defile yourselves with these things. I've separated this stuff from you so that you will be clean. Once again, because we've talked about this before, if you're new here, you might not have heard this, but why also would God want his people clean? That meant that gave them the privilege of coming before him in the tabernacle. That's the difference between clean and unclean. Not saved and unsaved, clean and unclean. And so he said, don't do these things. He doesn't want to judge us over it. And he wants us to be clean so that we can come before him and so that we don't defile his name or defile his place. So then he says in verse 26, and you shall be set apart to me for I, Yahovah, am set apart. There it is. This is where it's repeated in Peter where he says, you're to be holy because I'm holy. He says, you are to be set apart to me. We're really missing the personal connection here with our walk with God and how we serve Him and serve Him in the kingdom. We look at all this stuff and go, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. I can't keep up with what I am and I'm not supposed to do. And I could really easily say, really? Well, that's ridiculous. Number one, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, He's already written His law on your heart, and you already know the difference between right and wrong, and you know when, something's, you know when it's wrong. You know, when you, you know when you're doing something that's right because it's just the right thing to do, right? And nobody has to explain that to you. Well, that's why Jesus said, love God with all your heart, everything that you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else, will, everything else will work itself out. If you actually love other people as much as you love yourself, which that'd be loving them a lot, right? <laughs> and if you loved God with everything that you have then you'd care more about them than you care about yourself and you'd care more about God and his honor than you would care about what you want and it, everything would just work itself out. Um, he says, you're to be set apart unto me. It's not about a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts of what you should and shouldn't do. He's like, be set apart unto me. Marry me. Be part of my family. Sit on my couch. Watch what I've got on the television. That's what he's saying. Be set apart unto me. Don't come in my house and say you want to watch some junk. Not when I'm paying the bill. That's kind of what he's saying. Be set apart unto me. Live this way so that you'll be walking with me and part, get into, involved in my, uh, my economy. 
if you turn the page probably there on your notes, this is where you go right into 1 Peter. Now, I've got these in the ESV. It says, therefore, watch this. When you understand what we've already been talking about and how this applies still to us, now listen to what Peter says and how he phrases it. Pay close attention to the words. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Hmm. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with, with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When you understand what was said in the Old Testament, then when you've got people like Peter saying these things, then it it's actually just seems like common sense. It's like, well, you don't need a, you actually don't need a doctorate degree to figure that out. He's saying it just as clearly as, as can be. He's saying that you need to live your lives in holy conduct. And God is going to judge you by your conduct. Therefore, don't live like you used to live in your pagan, ignorant beliefs, following those worldly passions. So I've got a few verses in here in Ezekiel because you'll notice that the, it's at the top of your page and the front page for the extra reading. If you want, you really should go, well, we should read our Bibles. We should do what? We should pray, read our Bibles, and, and repeat. You should pray, read your Bible, repeat. I went to uh, this extra reading uh, that's in Ezekiel chapter 20. I would challenge you to read all of that. But I've got a few verses for you here because this is dealing with the 10 northern tribes of Israel that didn't do what God wanted. They profaned his name. They added to and took away from the word of God. They were doing things wrong. They had mixed the religion of the nations with worship of God himself, calling him Baal, Lord, Master, what, whatever, even set up altars in the temple. Or in the temp, They had temples in the northern tribe, but even Solomon set up altars to these pagan gods in the temple. Solomon, who built it. This stuff started at the very beginning, and God hates it. Well, they did not repent. God ends up sending them out, but I'm going to show you why. He's going to give, I, I just got a few here for you. In verse uh, 9 of chapter 20, after he's talking about everything that they've been doing, he's going to cast them out, he's going to bring them back. He, you know, they did all these awful things. And I want you to see here, because in verse 9 it says, But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. He's saying, this is why I'm acting. This is why I'm judging them, which would be us in exile, if you will. We're part of, we're part of Israel, either grafted in or maybe you have some, if you will, I'll use the term, Jewish blood in you. One way or another, we're part of Israel, but we're not in Israel. 
So we're in exile. So he's saying the reason all this happened was because of my name. We just think, well, we did bad and God judged us, you know, took us out behind the woodshed. We got a spanking, you know, and then, you know, we get to go back home. He's like, no, you, you don't get it, do you? This isn't about you do or don't and then you get a spanking or you don't get a spanking or you get a spanking or you get ice cream. That's how people act. He goes, I'm doing all of this because of the reverence for my namesake and you're profaning it and you're making me the same as these demons and I'll have none of it. Wow. So in verse 14, he says again, but I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. He's saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt I proved through that, not only to Egypt, but all the surrounding nations, that I'm the one true God. Then what did you do? You went and worshipped those demons, which was saying that I'm not the one true God. And I'll have none of it. You get to verse 22 and 23, he says, But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries. He said again and again and again. Folks, this is not the only place where he says these kind of statements. This is, you find this everywhere. He's concerned about the sanctity and honor of his name. I've said this before. I'm still working on my book, but I have said this before. If you can start to grasp the importance of the name of God, the honor of the name of God, and how it relates to you and your relationship to him, it will unlock the scriptures for you. It'll change the way you look at your life. It'll change the way you look at your family. It'll change the way you look at your work in the kingdom. It'll change the way you understand this war that's going on and your place in it. If you understand that everything you and I do is to bring glory and honor to his name, then it changes all of these rules and do's and don'ts into the privilege. It's like, are you kidding me? They just had the hoopla about the, the draft. First time I've ever seen any of it. I'm like, okay. Whatever. You know, but these kids get all excited because they get to do what? They get to put on the uniform of the people they're going to play for. You know, oh, I grew up, I just wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy. I'm going to get to play at the storm. I have a star on my helmet. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's cool. You know, they've spent their whole life longing for that. We get to do what God wants us to do, basically wearing his uniform and kick the devil's rear end. Oh, that's all I get is one. That's all I got out of that. I got a woohoo. I'm going to try this again. We get to wear God's uniform with his name, living his way, and kick the devil's rear end. That's cool, right? Doesn't that change the whole perspective? In other words, it's not like, you mean I got I to gotta do what? Where's my checklist? Right, I need to do this today. I need to do that. Oh, oh, I can't do that. And I'm not supposed to be doing this. And what am I supposed to be eating? And how am I supposed to be doing this? That's a beating, right? That's called legalism. That's a beating 
But when you realize it has to do with your relationship with the King of kings, Lord of all lords, the God above all gods, who died on the cross to bring you into relationship with him, to empower you to work in his kingdom where the gates of hell cannot stand against you. Changes everything. It puts your whole life on the offensive. So you get up and you go, you mean I get to read my Bible today and figure out how I'm supposed to? I mean, just let's just go beat him up. Man, I'm tired of this junk, right? Instead of reading your Bible being a, you know, well, I don't understand what it means. and you know, It's so bad. I've said this for years. It's so bad in, the Christ, in our Christian community. We come up with little ditties to trick us into reading our Bible. Kid you not, there was one, I don't know if it's still out, it was called the 29-29 plan. 29 minutes and 29 days. You know, just, just read your Bible. Come up with all these different little ditties to try to get us to want to read the Bible. Why would they have to do that? Well, because we're not reading it. You know why we're not reading it? We don't think it applies to our life. We don't think it can change our life. We don't think it can literally revolutionize our life. And it, and it not only can't, it's supposed to. And instead of being a beating, we get to go, <laughs> I get to get up tomorrow and put on his uniform. I get to go out there and line up on the line, and the devil is 10 times bigger than me, and he's going to be crying when he tries to get up off the ground. Isn't that cool? Not because I'm so powerful, but because the God whom I'm serving, I'm, I am a representative of his name. This is why in the Psalms it says he laughs. He's like, really? Bring it on. In Isaiah, he throws the gauntlet down. I think it's in chapter 40. He literally throws the gauntlet down and says, all you idols, go ahead and bring on your proof. Show me the end of the matter from the beginning. Let's, you know, let's just go ahead and see if you've got it. That's Paul Henry paraphrased. He goes, because there's no other God like me that can do this. You can't. And he says, all of your works are nothing. Folks, that's the one we're fighting against and the one we're fighting for and the one we're representing. And he's laughing at them going, I just want you to represent me. And I'm telling you, when you do, you're going to see miracles. Folks, these miracles don't come in the intensity of your prayer life. These self-help Christian books make me crazy. And every day, I see them every day. Man, you just need to come and you need to get my book and get my DVD and I'm going to show you how to claim these promises. And, you're going to, and I'm like, it's false doctrine, folks. Um, God wants us to be honoring him and when we honor him, we can walk into the devil's den and watch the waters part. But you better be honoring his name and living according to what he says so that you're set apart and holy and the relationship is right. You can't be doing this living by our own rules. You're going to get the stuffings beat out of you. But when we start living this way and understand what we're doing, I'm telling you, it is empowering. Now I want to read this last one and we'll close. Thank you for staying with me tonight. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, it says, For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. That word would be holiness, your set, your set apartness. This is God's will, your set apartness. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, set apartness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God himself, who has given you his Holy Spirit. Wow. So here we're seeing it again in Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul is saying, man, I'm telling you, this is God's will for you that you be set apart. And it's going right back to this passage talking about all this sexual immorality stuff. And he says, you are not to be like that. And if you disregard this, guess what? You're not disregarding man. You're disregarding God. And this is the God that gave you his Holy Spirit. Better not do that. Because his will for your life is that you be set apart. Hmm. You might want to let that kind of take root. What is it that we're always, you know, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Henry Blackaby wrote a, a, a book on that years ago. Uh, what was the title of that? Um, Experiencing God. Great Bible study, by the way. If anybody here ever done that study? Awesome, awesome Bible study. Experiencing God. He said, everybody always asks, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And he points out and he shows you from Scripture. That's the wrong question. Yet everybody's asking that question. We want to find out what God's will for my life is. Wrong question. The question is, what is God's will? And then align your life to that. God is not concerned with what kind of job you have. Sorry. He's not sitting there going, well, you know, I really think you ought to have this job. And I think, I th look, God can take you where, and he, I'm not saying he doesn't do some of those things. He does some of those things to teach us and to help us and everything. But I'm telling you, he's more concerned about our relationship with him and us being set apart. The job is just, it's a job. It's earning you money, puts food in your belly, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. It's a job. You know what he's more concerned about? He's more concerned about you and I honoring his name. In our job, in our family, in our place of worship, how we drive, how we walk, how we talk, how we dress, how we uh, relate to one another. And sexual immorality is one of the worst ones. The New Testament even says... All these other sins are outside the body, but when you commit sexual immorality, you're literally sinning against and harming your own physical body. We don't, we don't have time to get into all that tonight, but it's, it's even a biological truth. And so it just simply shouldn't be done. And yet what happens today? Everybody living together with everybody before they even decide they want to get married. I'm like, well, you're actually already married. And you're messing everything up and don't understand why God's not blessing and we wonder why our families are falling apart. It's falling apart because we don't live by God's word. And worse than that, we don't teach it. 
and we don't live by it. Jesus has called us into his family to be set apart so that we can bring glory and honor to his name. God cares about it. He cares about you. And I'm telling you, he wants to empower you to do mighty things in his kingdom. But you and I have to learn to get our eyes off of, watch this, our plan. We come up with all these plans, then we ask God to join us in it. And instead we should be going, God, how would you want me to live my life? That's what I'm going to be doing. And then you, you face tomorrow with whatever starts to happen around you. Ask God, what are you doing and what would you have me do? How would you have me respond to this? Everything that's happening around you is an opportunity for you to respond and glorify the king. Everything. And you never know when you're sharing what God is doing in your life, how it's going to change a life. Um, but when we're all just so consumed with our own lives and what's going on, you know, with us and, uh, you know, our plans, our dreams, well, then it's about us. And it's not about him. And we're not glorifying him. And we're trying to ask God to, I don't know, throw some pixie dust on our lives. And that's just not how it works. God loves you. Jesus said he came that you might have life and we might have it, what, more abundantly that meant more powerfully as we're walking with him, attacking the very kingdom of darkness. That's nothing, that's nothing to be scared of, as a matter of fact, is it? That's, I think it's actually pretty cool. God loves you, loves you very much, so much that he crossed eternity to die for you. Um, he's brought you here. You're here tonight because we're trying to honor the Sabbath. We're trying to honor the God that loves us, uh, trying to be a light in a dark place and a safe place where people can learn their Bible and learn how to read it for themselves, not get off in the deep weeds and get involved in false doctrine, cults and junk and self-centered garbage. I, I, my passion is so that we could see, I could see us being raised up to actually understand the Bible for what it says and empowered to glorify the king and do damage to the kingdom of darkness. The only way that happens is if we truly understand what it says and we stop chasing these side peripheral issues. Uh, we follow him to glorify him.